Thank you, Reverend Tyson and choir. That makes me want to say hallelujah. (laughs) Here we are today, Easter Sunday. Now, I've been waiting for 40 days and nights, seven weeks total, to be able to proclaim to you, embrace the empty tomb. We've been journeying together this entire Lenten season wherein Pastor Hughes has began every single sermon by saying the following, and no, you don't have to chime in on this occasion, but if you want to embrace the empty tomb, you must return to the cross. And now here we are. It's Easter Sunday. It's game day, baby. We've printed it on all of our marketing, our banners, your yard signs, cry out, embracing the empty tomb. And yet, in my heart and mind this week, I've wondered if I am truly ready to embrace the empty tomb. Are you? Are we? For that reason, I've gone time and time again to the resurrection account that was read to us by our own Susan Greer in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, wherein I saw three key historical people who struggled to embrace the empty tomb until finally they did. And as I read and studied and lived and breathed and ate this passage each and every day, I think I found some commonalities with me, and I hope you will find some commonalities with yourself. Let's begin first with the beloved disciple. You might also know him as the disciple named John. John was in a state of dismay. He was asking the question of, how can this be? Why? Because not but a week prior, John processed in with Christ Jesus in the front gates of Jerusalem as all proclaimed him as king. John then on Thursday evening was the one sitting next to Jesus in the Last Supper, being so close to Jesus, in fact, that he reclined against Jesus' own chest, many believing that he could hear Jesus' heartbeat. Then, not but a day later, it was John who was charged by Jesus to take care of Christ's mother named Mary as Christ lay dying. Oh yes, John was the beloved disciple. Christ loved him so much, but then now Christ was dead. John was sent reeling, asking, how can this be? The one that I loved so deeply and walked beside so nearly is in a tomb. This is an unforeseen turn of events. How can this be, he asked. Maybe some today are similarly asking, how can this be? Life was going this way and now it's going that. It's not what I had planned. Dismay. Then there was Simon Peter, the one Jesus nicknamed Rock, because on Simon Peter, Jesus proclaimed he would build his church. Simon Peter was one who was in a state of disbelief. No, not because he didn't believe Jesus was Lord, but he couldn't believe what he had done. 
He was the one that Christ called out onto the waters with him. He was the one that swore up and down, Lord, even though all would turn their back and walk away from you, I will never forsake you. And yet it was Simon Peter who denied Christ three times when he was confronted with the equivalent of a middle school girl saying, do you know him? No, I don't know him once. No, I don't know him twice. No, I don't know him a third time. And to add extra emphasis, Peter cursed Jesus' name. Then the rooster crow and Peter and Christ's eyes meet, leading Peter to weep bitterly alone in the darkness. Peter now living in disbelief, saying, how could I? have done such a horrible thing. Even if Christ could, he would never take me back. Disbelief. How could I? How could we? Perhaps today, this week, in our lives have done some of the things which we have done. Would this mean our exclusion from an empty tomb as well? Then this last person, her name was Mary Magdalene. No, that's not her last name. She was actually from the town of Magdala on the Sea of Galilee. She was one that was in a state of utter distraught. She was the one that Jesus had cast seven evil spirits out of. And from that time forward, she was one of Jesus's closest, most intimate followers. She, an inner circle of women, supported Christ's ministry, attended to him, and then the one that she had called Lord, Master, Rabboni, Rabbi, was taken from her. Her heart is broken. She is in such a state of grief that literally she is crying so hard she cannot see What is before her? She's asking a question, if her heart can ever heal. Many ask the same question today because of the traumatic experience that you've had. Someone who has been taken from you or something that you had to endure. Your heart is broken and you wonder, can my heart ever heal? Oh yes, whether we are in dismay disbelief or in a state of being distraught, we wonder here and now in 2022, can we, the people of God, embrace the empty tomb? Well, on the day in which Christ arose, there came a report. Mary Magdalene, before the sun came up on the horizon, went to anoint Jesus's body with others with spices So when she got to the grave, she could tell that it had been disturbed. The stone that was upon the entrance had been rolled away, leaving her to fear what you and I might naturally conclude, that Jesus' body had been stolen. She takes off, running blindly back to where she knows that John, the beloved disciple, and Peter are proclaiming they have taken our Lord's body and I don't know what they've done with it. You see, no one saw an empty tomb at first and then said, oh, Christ is risen. They too all agreed, no, his body has been stolen. Quick, let's go see what we can do about it. And then what follows and what can only be described as a 
foot race to the tomb, these same three individuals, one in a state of utter dismay, the other in disbelief, and the last being distraught, run and find themselves arriving in different order. First upon the scene was the beloved disciple, John. No less still in a state of dismay, he peeks inside the empty tomb, seeing the grave clothes that once were on Jesus' body, still in their folds, as the Greek says, folded neatly. He waits outside. He's wondering what in the world has happened. And then later he enters into the tomb, looking once more at the grave clothes where Jesus lies. The scripture says the following, he saw and believed. But then in brackets beside that same scripture, it says they did still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. In this moment, one who is in a complete state of dismay, one who has more questions than he has answers, still is able to embrace the mystery of resurrection. Why? Because, my friends, he knows that the tomb welcomes our questions of dismay, welcomes our questions of how can this be and does not reject any of them. We similarly come to the empty tomb today having questions of wonder, having questions that express the mystery of this moment, and we too ask, how can this be? And inevitably, someone here thinks that such questions disqualify you from embracing the empty tomb, but they do not. In fact, the empty tomb invites our questions, but it also wants to qualify them in such a way that we, as we begin to understand ever so slightly the mystery of resurrection, would wonder if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, what then this might mean for my life. If this is in fact the demonstration of God's immeasurable power then what in my life can come alive again? The beloved disciple John, still with these questions lingering, returns home, but he is changed. He has embraced the tomb, even though the questions remain. And my friends, the same is true for you and me. That even though questions that are about the mystery and wonder of this moment, even though we will not ever fully understand what happened on this side of eternity, we can still embrace the tomb and it can still inform and transform our lives. Next, arriving in second place was Simon Peter. Simon Peter, a little bit older and perhaps slower than the beloved disciple, is next in line. Instead of just peeking inside the tomb, it says that Simon Peter goes headlong into the tomb, which is typical of this hard-nosed character. He too sees the grave clothes folded neatly where Jesus lay, but he does not believe, as the scriptures say. He goes home not having embraced the empty tomb at all. Could it be that God's, Jesus Christ's best friend on planet Earth 
rejected the empty tomb, did not understand it? Well, perhaps for a little while. For in two chapters later, in John chapter 21, it's Simon Peter who has returned to his previous life as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, when, lo, he hears a fond and recognizable voice that after a night of not having caught any fish, the voice of Christ Jesus resurrected says, throw out your nets on the other side. And as Simon Peter and his colleagues do so, once again, pulling up from the depths comes a miraculous catch. It was then that Peter knew it's the Lord and not able to wait for his fellow disciples to row into the shore. He jumps into the water, swimming and arriving first where Jesus, the resurrected Savior, has prepared for them breakfast on the beach. It's there that this disciple, the one who is in a complete state of disbelief for the awful things that he had done, was reinstated to the ministry three times. Three times for three denials. And it's at that moment that Jesus helps Simon Peter embrace the empty tomb. It's at that moment that Simon Peter needed to know that Jesus Christ was not only alive, but that the risen Savior still forgives. And that much is true for any and all today who are asking the questions of disbelief. How could I have done these things? The resurrected Savior likewise looks to you and reinstates you to the high purpose and office of the ministry of Jesus Christ. There is no disqualification. Jesus embraces you fully and invites you in and your whole self to be commissioned once again to his ministry today. Simon Peter, in that moment with his disbelief being met by the warm embrace of Jesus Christ is able to embrace the empty tomb and becomes the rock on which the church was built. But then last, but not least, there was Mary. Having arrived after the other two disciples on the resurrection Sunday had gone home, she's outside the tomb weeping bitterly. When she looks inside the tomb and she sees two angels, one seated at the head of the place where Jesus lay, the other at the foot, they ask her, why are you crying? She doesn't realize that they're intimating there's nothing to cry about. Then turning from the tomb, she looks out into the garden and she sees a man who is in fact the resurrected Christ and she asks him, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Jesus asked. Mary, thinking he was the gardener, says, they've taken my Lord and I don't know where they have hidden him. If you know, would you please tell me? Mary, that person that was in distraught, her heart broken with grief, is still unable to embrace the empty tomb even when confronted by the risen Savior himself. But then breaking the emotional gridlock is a word that Jesus uses that will likewise free our hearts and minds 
from that state of being distraught and set us forward to new life. And that word was her name, Mary, he says. And in a moment, her heart understands, realizes that this is in fact the risen Savior. This is Jesus. There is truly nothing more to cry about. I've heard my name from his lips. And likewise, she understood that in that moment, there was a very personal message in the ministry of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ had died for her. Jesus Christ rose from the dead from her, but moreover, he did it for all people. That's why I believe that when Mary wants to embrace Jesus, he says, do not embrace me right now, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. This might seem like a rebuff, but quite honestly, it's a helping point. For if Mary had reached out and embraced Jesus in those moments, she would have embraced Jesus as he once was. God no less, but God in human flesh. And the resurrected body surpasses that Jesus in this moment is going worldwide as he is soon to ascend and the Holy Spirit will descend upon the hearts and minds of every single believer in the day of Pentecost. So instead, Mary, hearing her name, realizes that not only is the gospel for her individually, it's for all of God's people corporately, that we are all to hear our name being called in to this wonder of ministry, to this wonder of resurrection, and likewise going and telling our brothers and sisters wherever they might live and however they might look that Christ Jesus is alive. It is in that moment that Mary's grief is broken. No longer distraught, she embraces the tomb And as Christ Jesus proclaims each and every one of your names today, I hope the same will be true. That though you might be asking the question of will my heart ever heal from the trauma I have received from the grief, I feel you will know that as he speaks your name, he proclaims resurrection power over whatever the source of grief is that you are facing And likewise, he is saying, though it might be hard to hear me say these things, though it might be hard for you to see Christ Jesus before you today, he is no less present. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and his power is without compare. You will never walk alone again. He is with you now and forevermore. The resurrection hope declares that death itself is no more. We are free to embrace the goodness of following Christ Jesus without fear and without pain. So, whether we today are in dismay, Whether we today are in disbelief, whether we today are in distraught, the empty tomb bids us to come. Whether we arrive first or second or third, 
Whether we are running to the tomb, walking to the tomb, barely crawling to the tomb, we are all invited to come and embrace the empty tomb. And yet, as I proclaim this, I still wonder, are we ready? Am I ready? Maybe the truth is, is that we will never fully be ready to embrace such a moment. But the good news is that we don't have to be fully ready. Christ calls us to come as we are. You don't have to have your dismay put in its correct spot. You don't have to have your tears hidden away. You don't have to have all of your doubts answered. You don't have to have all of your problems and mistakes fixed. Christ Jesus says to each and everyone, come as you are. For when you come to the empty tomb as you are, I embrace you and then you are able to embrace the empty tomb. So that's where I'm going. Not because I'm perfect, (laughs) far from it, but because I'm perfectly known by my Lord and Savior. He is resurrected. He is waiting on me today. He bids me come. And when I arrive, he will embrace me broken as I am and send me forward with the power of new life. Will you join me? Will you join me? Will you join me? as we go to the empty tomb and allow the resurrected Savior to embrace us. If that is you today, I want to invite you into a time of response. Appropriately, our hymn of invitation is no other than Up From the Grave He Arose, page number 207 in your hymn books. And today, Easter Sunday, is a powerful Sunday for you to make a profession of your faith in your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He waits on you. He calls you. He bids you come just as you are. Whether you want to profess him as Savior for the first time, whether you want to rededicate your life, or whether you want to join a body of believers who seeks to follow Jesus Christ and make his gospel known, today, Easter Sunday, is your moment of triumph, is your moment of decision. Stand now as we sing and respond together.